If you want to go ahead and turn in your Bibles uh, to the book of Haggai, uh, we'll be there again this morning. Again, that's tucked away there at the pretty much at the end of the Old Testament. If you go to the book of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament, flip back about two books, you'll find it there, tucked away uh, right in front of Zechariah. But uh, we'll be in Haggai chapter 2 this morning, Haggai chapter 2. How's everyone enjoying this fall weather? Yeah, I'll tell you what, it, uh, I'm, I'm not sure if it quite got up to 90 degrees yesterday, but it was sure close to it. And I guess yesterday was the official day of fall. And uh, I, uh, I saw Google, I was, it reminded me of it, it went to Google, and of course they had the picture of these yellow leaves, and I'm thinking... Well, I can believe they're yellow as hot as it, hot as it is right now and, uh, and burning up in this hot sun. So I don't know how much longer we got, uh, but uh, it'll be good when that first cool snap comes through and uh, look forward to that and uh, take a, give my uh, air conditioning units a little bit of a break. Amen. And a little bit uh, lower power bill. Amen. That's what I'm talking about. We'll, we'll look forward to that, but in the meantime, we'll praise God anyway and uh, thank Him for all the blessings He does give us on a daily basis. Uh, we are uh, just rejoicing in God's goodness here at our church. I hope you are. I uh, thank God for each of you. I pray for you uh, every week and uh, throughout the week as God brings you to heart. And I also pray for you. I have a list of every, uh, every member and every visitor and guest. I write your name down and I pray for you by name. I want you to know that. I pray for your children by name. I uh, lift you up before the Lord. And I thank God for you and what God's doing in each of your lives. And uh, trust that He's continuing to give you direction and wisdom. And uh, we need to trust Him every day to help us because don't we need God's help every moment of our life. And we're going to read about a group of people that realize that as well. And I believe it will be an encouragement to us as we have uh, studied uh, this portion of the Scriptures over the past few weeks. Uh, we'll continue uh, today, and then we'll probably have at least one more message out of this book uh, in the weeks ahead. But uh, find your place there in chapter 2, and look there. We'll begin reading in verse number 10. Chapter 2, verse number 10. Now, you'll remember that this is message number three. Uh, Haggai's had a total of four messages that he would give to Judah, uh, the, uh, the, the people of Israel, God's chosen people that came back from Babylonian captivity. This is message number three uh, that he will give to them, beginning in verse number 10. In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by, by Haggai the prophet, saying... Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priests answered and said, No. Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priests answered and said, It shall be unclean. Then answered Haggai and said, So is the people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. 
And now I pray you consider from this day and upward from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days were when one came to an heap of the of 20 measures, there were but 10 when one came to the press fat for to draw out 50 vessels out of the press. There were there were but 20. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hell in the in all the labors of your hands. Yet ye turn not to me, saith the Lord. Consider now from this day and upward from, uh, excuse me, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider it is the seed yet in the barn. Yea. As yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth, from this day will I bless you. Let's pray together. Father, I need you. And I'm just asking that your spirit would just truly take over. And that I would just simply be a vessel and a voice and a channel that your spirit can work through today. I pray for my dear friends here that are listening to the Word of God. I pray that they would have attentive hearts and open hearts. And more importantly, Lord, I pray that they would have obedient hearts. And however you might speak to them today. And Lord, I do pray that you would just pour grace all over this service and draw us nearer to yourself. And Lord, we'll thank you and give you the glory for what you do. In Jesus' precious name I pray. Amen. This morning's message is titled this, Experience, One of Life's Greatest Teachers. Experience, One of Life's Greatest Teachers. There were two teachers who were applying for the same vice principal position at a local high school. One had been teaching a total of eight years and the other had been teaching a total of twenty Everyone expected the teacher with the greater experience to get the job. But when a decision was made, it was the person with eight years of teaching. They were chosen. And the teacher overlooked for the job complained bitterly. I've got 20 years teaching to her eight, he cried. I'm vastly more qualified. The school board's reply went like this. Yes, sir. You do have 20 years teaching to her eight. But where she has eight years experience, you have one year's experience repeated 20 times. That was tough to hear. But obviously, this was a gentleman who had lots of years of experience, but did not learn from some of the things that he obviously had struggled with in his profession, in his service. And that is what's going to happen here. We're going to see Haggai remind this group of people not to make the same mistake. He's going to encourage them and to bring to remembrance the things that they went through, not to make them feel guilty. That's not going to be the point, but the point is, it's going to be, it's going to be, listen, children, learn from your experiences. In this life that God has given you, learn from your mistakes. Don't dwell on them, but simply learn from them. Judah had learned a valuable lesson concerning their misplaced priorities and failing to rebuild the temple as God had told them to. Now Haggai is not going to rub it in their face, but he's going to remind them not to repeat it. 
you know, we see something similar. I'm not going to look there, but in the book of Jude and verse five, uh, Jude says, I will therefore put you in remembrance, though ye once knew this. And he goes on to say how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them. That believed not. What was Jude doing there? He was simply bringing them to remembrance of what they already knew. And we're talking about a group of people here that knew well what had happened. And they were simply going to learn from it. You know, the the last message we talked about how it was encouraging. And this one is as well. But this one is also a warning to keep in mind the things that they had been learning and God had been teaching them. I heard it once said this way. Experience is not what happens to you, it is what you do with what happens to you. We are all constantly experiencing life and going through things, but how do we respond to it? How do we grow from it? And I believe God helps us in doing that. Haggai is going to share three lessons to be learned from the experience of the people of Israel since returning from captivity. I want us to notice the first lesson is the lesson from the law. You find there in verse number 11. Now, you'll recall this is already a couple months from the initial uh, movement of God upon this group of people. Two months have passed and there is a a recalling. But uh, there's something interesting here. It's the first time we see this happening in this little book. Haggai is going to point these people to the priest. He's going to lead them to them. And it's interesting what he's going to lead them uh, with a reason he's going to lead them for is, is most interesting. Look there in verse number 11. He says, ask now the priest concerning the law. Now, the priest were the authority of the law of Moses, the law of God. They were the authority there that God had put in that place. And so they're going to be able to explain what was the first question. Can I paraphrase it for you? The first question was something like this. Can holiness be transmitted to another object from from an object or from a person to person? Can holiness be passed along in that way? Can it be conveyed, conveyed, excuse me, through the human channel to another human? And the answer to that question was negative. It could not. Although, although you look at it the other way around, and that was the second question. The second question went to something like this, and I'm paraphrasing. Can holiness be contaminated. In other words, can one that has holiness, as we see here, the vessels that were carrying the holy meat, can they be contaminated by a corpse uh, uh, and, and, and truly be made unholy? And the, question, and the answer to this question was affirmative. It can be made unholy. And so upon that question here, uh, uh, he's teaching something very important. And he's going to give application. So we see in 12 and 13, he gives the lesson here. And then verse 14, look what Haggai does. Haggai gives the the application. He says, and said, so is the people. What is the people? Well, the people had fallen into that trap of what we're going to see here. Haggai gives the application here and he's teaching them that your holy sacrifices were contaminated By your disobedience and building the temple. It went a little something like this. They had gotten back to the land 
that God had called them to. They started off right. They got the foundation built. They installed the the uh, the institution of the uh, sacrificial altar and uh, the sacrificial offerings unto the Lord. And that was established. And so they started off right. But then they got away from the task of rebuilding the temple. And what they tried to do upon growing cold towards exactly what God told them to do, you know what they did? They just ignored it, but they kept doing certain things that were holy. They did continue the offerings. They would continue to go through those ceremonies and those things that they had been taught. But they had missed the main mission, which we discussed. What was the main mission? Was the temple. What did the temple represent, church? It represented the presence of God. And so they were fulfilling these traditional laws uh, of the offerings and whatnot. But one thing they were missing was the main thing that God told them to do, get the temple built. And so he's bringing that to remembrance and he's showing them here that there's some application to give. He says here, look there in verse 14. It's very interesting. He says, basically, all that you have been doing before you repented just a little bit ago, he said, all that you were doing, he says here, and uh, in, in, in verse 14, so is the people. What about the people? They were unclean. So is the nation before me. They were unclean, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands unclean. And that which they offer there is unclean. Underline that word there in verse 14. And that, I believe, is most likely referring to the altar. The sacrifices that they had been bringing to the Lord, God was declaring them to be no good. That's humbling, but He's not doing this to rub it in their face. I want to tell you that. That's clear in the Scriptures. Haggai is not trying to rub this in their face. He's just simply reminding them, hey, don't go back to that mode of thinking. It's dangerous. Thinking that you can do some holy things that will perhaps outbalance or outweigh, if you will, things that are unholy and therefore justify it as being holy. He says that's very dangerous. Every work of your hands, he says, that which you offer. And uh, this, I heard this quote, just as a dead body would defile holy garments, disobedience defiles holy worship. You know, I heard it illustrated like this. We can pass on sickness. You know, it's flu season. I'm already here. I don't know about you, but someone, I got word the other day that the emergency room was filled with people with the flu. I can't believe it's that, it's that it's here already, but it is. But there's one thing's for sure. That's why we do try to use antibacterial soap here in the church and try to practice that. But one thing's for sure is that it can be passed along quickly. The flu can be passed along, a sickness can be passed along, but unfortunately, we cannot pass on health. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Some of you real health nuts in here that are just super healthy, you hadn't been sick but like twice in your life, I wish you could come in here and just start touching us. We'd look like Benny Hinn walking through here healing people. That would be nice if you could just pass on health. Here, I'm healthy. Let me give you some health. No, that's impossible. And that's what he's teaching here. You can't just, you can't just transmit holiness. 
But you can transmit uh, uh, disobedience and carnality. And you can defile that which is meant to be sacred and holy and set apart to God. You can defile that. It happens today, does it not? Some people try to justify their church attendance and, and make statements like, Look, I go to church. Okay, on Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night, whenever you do go to church, and basically say, look, that's my contribution to my religion. But the rest of the time, it's on me. That's me. Do you know what that basically is saying, church? It's basically saying that what God is saying to someone that thinks in that way, like these people were thinking, you know what that means? It means that when you do come and worship, it means when you do come and, and convey uh, your desire to, or sacrifice to Almighty God, you know what it means? God's saying, it's unclean. We cannot dress up uh, uh, disobedience with church attendance. We can't dress it up with our attire. We can't dress it up with our vocabulary. We can't pick and choose when we want to obey Almighty God because God declares that if you go that route, you might as well just hang it up because what you bring to me, to me is unholy. It's unworthy. God is interested in the heart of obedience. He's interested in not those that pick and choose where they will obey the Lord, but those that will say, Lord, my heart is yours. And that was what he was teaching them here. It was a lesson from the law. May God help us not to be that way. I know we are all guilty of that. We sort of find areas in our life where we may just perhaps, honestly, we may be stronger spiritually than some others. We may just be strong in that. And what we do, if we're not careful, church, is we will justify and say, well, listen, I'm strong here, but then we'll justify some sin in our lives because of that. And the Lord says, don't do that. That's a wrong rut you want to be in. The way to be is to be open before the Lord, come to God with our strengths and weaknesses, let God do a work in us and stir our hearts to righteousness. That's what the Lord will do. So we see a lesson from the law. But then number two, let's look at verses 15 through 17. We see a lesson from the harvest or the lack thereof. He, in verse 15, he brings up the fact of what had taken place because of their disobedience. And he noticed there in verse 15, he says, I pray you consider. That means give attention to from this day and upward and from, excuse me, from before stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord. Since those days were when one came to an heap of 20 measures. What is he going to go on to say, church? He's going to go ahead and give an illustration of what was happening here. What had happened? There was a great decrease in the crops. In fact, a 50% decrease in the grain. A 60% decrease in the grapes. That's a big decrease. Can you imagine someone coming to you today and saying, uh, Mr. or Mrs., we're actually going to go ahead and cut your, your income in half. Half of what you were used to and half of what you would like to bring in, we're going to cut that in half. That, 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 would, that would be hurtful. <laughs> That, that would cause us to scramble a little bit and, and, and cause us to think. And that's exactly what God was wanting to do. He was bringing those things into their life and those things were decreasing because there was a lesson in what God was wanting to teach. He was trying to get their attention. And if you don't believe that, look at verse 17. It says here, 
I smote you with blasting and with mildew. Why? Excuse me. And what was the result in verse 17? At the end of verse 17, it says, Yet ye turn not to me, saith the Lord. What does that tell me right there? That tells me that God was trying to get their attention. He was simply trying to get them to turn to Him in this time of chastening, and they would not turn. But thank God they did. And and Haggai is not trying to rub this in their face. He's just telling them again, don't let it happen again. And you'll understand why he's emphasizing that. Listen, can I tell you, child of God, don't ever, don't ever, don't ever dread the chastening hand of God. Welcome it. Welcome the chastening hand of God. You know, that's a way that God shows his love towards us. When He corrects us, He's showing us that He loves us. And it's something that if you, in any way, something you and I can pray with an honest heart. Because chastening is not always a spanking, okay? That's the, that's the scourging, alright? That the Lord will do that if He needs to, but a lot of times chastening is a correction. And the Lord needs to correct us, does He not, constantly? We need correcting. In fact, is that something that we could pray as God's children? You think we could pray that and it would be a healthy prayer? Lord, chasten me today where I step out of line. Correct me. That is a great prayer request to bring before the Lord. You know what the Lord Jesus told the church there in Revelation 3? He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, if you, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? That's the Lord's will. And he is correct, correcting them in this time, and they are learning. It has been wisely said, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Let me say that again. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. And when that word there, remember, I would say in the spiritual application, it's not saying those who dwell in the past. There's a big difference. There's a big difference between dwelling in the past, but simply remembering it. And we need to remember how God deals with us. Listen to this quote. Simply experiencing the passage of time doesn't mean we have grown or learned from those things we experience during that time. I don't know if you've ever heard this statement, but we ought to strive for God not to uh, have to waste trials in our life. We don't want to repeat the testings. We would like to go through the test and learn from them and grow from them and not have to be on a continuous cycle of learning the same test that God is bringing us through. But God is faithful. He won't leave us alone. He'll give us the same test every single time until He sees us come through it by His grace and power. That is what God is wanting us to do. He's wanting us to learn from our past. You know, I read this and I thought it was pretty interesting. An unknown sailor said this. If you never run aground, if you never run aground, you've never been anywhere. I can relate to that. When I was in the Coast Guard, I probably it was probably 2003. Yeah, pretty sure it's 2003. 
I was in Charleston, South Carolina, and I was in a small boat station, and, and we were out. We had to do night runs and day runs. Even if we didn't have a call, we had a, a territory, we called it, where we had to cover for that year, each year. So we'd be familiar with the channels, uh, with the buoys, with the landmarks, with the boat ramps, and all those different things. And we'd be familiar with it when we did get the call. Okay, so we'd had to do what we called a day run, which those were... Pretty easy, all right? You had full daylight, had pretty much all the time full visibility. And let me tell you something, folks. You're talking about a drastic difference. It's trying to navigate those rivers and those inlands at night. Even with a GPS and even with a radar, I want to tell you, it's scary. And with those inlands and those rivers, uh, they are our title, of course. And so what would happen on low tide, and we would do them at low tide as well, because, again, if we get an emergency call, we need to be used to our territory. We need to be familiar with it. And I remember one night we were coming into an area, and we had let our guard down maybe a little too much. And we, as we were in this vessel, it's about a 27-foot vessel, and it had a cabin, and I can remember it as it was yesterday. I was in the, the passenger seat, and my friend Terrell Horn uh, was, was the uh, coxswain. And so as we were going forward, it was probably, I don't know, it might have been one in the morning. But we're moving along. Everything seems to be fine. And then just all of a sudden, <laughs> noises I've never heard before, okay? It was bad. We look back. Nothing but dry ground. We had run aground big time. And I guess if you're going to do it, do it right. (laughs) We did. We were high and dry. And boy, those other fellas back there who were maybe getting a little cat nap, they were fully awake at this moment. And old Terrell, I remember Terrell, he said, well, boys, we're stuck here for a while. And we sure did. We had to wait till the tide came back up. And, of course, we had a couple of the vessels come out. And it's bad when the Coast Guard has to be rescued, okay? That's just bad. You don't want that happening, all right? And, and, and that's what happened that day. We had to be the ones getting rescued. And so uh, we, we ran aground. But I want to tell you something about that. Every time from that point forward that we came around that bend at night at low tide, I want to tell you, buddy, we were all in. We were aware of that shoal. We knew where it was. We said, we've got to be on guard. We've got to pay attention. That place is tricky. Ladies and gentlemen, that's what Almighty God wants His children to do. The areas you've run aground in life, and it happens to all of us spiritually where we get high and dry and we know we've messed up, God's saying, okay, I'm going, I'm going to forgive you as you come to me in repentance. I'm going to forgive you and cleanse you, and I'm going to give you grace. But please, children, be careful when that comes again in your life, that temptation, that testing, when it comes your way. Be on guard. And that's what He's teaching these people here. These dear people that He loves. Be on guard. We are not to live in the past, but we are to look to the past and learn from the past so that we don't lose in the present and lack for the future. That is God's will. We see the lesson He gave here, a lesson from the harvest. God brought those things. They didn't have those things because God was simply trying to get their attention. And He did, praise God. 
But then the third lesson here that I see from our passage is this was a lesson from a barn, a lesson from a barn. Yep, that's what I said. A lesson from a barn. We're going to find there in verse 19, he says here, is the seed yet in the barn. Now, you'll recall as a timeline, there's been three months, there's been three months after the work on the temple had begun. Three months. And so during that time, there's been a stirring, there's been a repentance, there's been a desire to get back and doing what God's doing. Because remember, this is not a rub-in right here, this is a reminder. But why would he bring those things up again? You know, it's kind of like, man, Aggie, I know, I know, listen, we went through that, I know we messed up, and you got us, and boy, we got stirred. Why, Aggie, why you got to bring that stuff up again? Well... The reason, and I don't know if they said that, but it's possible, but I, I'd, I'd probably say that. But the reason he was bringing it up is not to put it in their face, but to remind them that, look, temptation is on its way. Why? Because three months had passed, they had turned and repented, but get it, very important, there wasn't a whole lot of fruit and results from their obedience. It's very important to note in the Word of God here because that is so important for us as God's children to remember that when we do turn to God in obedience, we can't automatically assume that everything is just going to turn in to be hunky-dory. Not everything's just going to just start out to be a ten every day, uh, uh, you know, that just being perfecto in every single way possible. No, no, this, it doesn't work that way. And I believe there was a, a temptation from what we can see here. It may not look, excuse me, from their point of view, it did not look like that obedience was paying off. You ever feel that way? Child of God, do you ever feel that way? Oh, I'm trying to walk with the Lord here. I was reading my Bible. I was praying. I was going to church. I was, I was, and I was trying to be good to my family. And it just seems like I cannot get on top. It just seems like it's not working out. And there's that temptation, is there not? To wonder, hey, Lord, <laughs> I mean, I, I am obeying you. Why is this happening to me? Why is the barn still half full, God? Because that's exactly what was going right here. It was half full. Where's all the grapes and all the grain from being blessed because of my obedience to you, Almighty God? And there was a temptation there to get disgruntled. But can I say this? The effects of a sinful past are not suddenly removed by holy living. The consequence to their refusal to build the temple had led to a poor harvest. There were consequences, yes, and we got to remember that, but there was also God's marvelous grace that we sang about just a minute ago. And we're going to see that come through here in just a second. But let us learn what we see here. There was three months since they had turned back. They weren't seeing the results they were wanting to. And I believe Haggai was concerned about their faith that it would be weak without immediate results. Because that's how we are. Let me ask you something, friend. Can I ask you something very personal? Are you in a season in your life where you're not seeing the results you want to see? Maybe spiritually speaking. Are you in a season where you are, you've been praying about a specific thing? You've been trying to live out a specific thing? And God doesn't seem to be showing up. 
I believe we all go through seasons like that. Well, let's take a lesson from this group of people right here. Can I say second of all here? Not only did it look like obedience was paying off, but I believe that trust, trust is most important. Faith is most important in Almighty God in these situations. Trust that God blesses your obedience. Get this, whether you see it or not. Can I say that again, church? God blesses our obedience whether we see the results or not. How do I know that? Because the Bible declares it. Can I say this, children? Of God, may God help us as His children to be this way. May we obey God, not for the blessings, but may we obey God because He is God. Let's not obey God for the blessings. Let's obey God because He is God. He is worthy to be obeyed. Whether I see any results or not for this life that I live on this earth, I'm going to serve Him because who He is. He is the Almighty. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords. He's the Sovereign Almighty One, the Creator, my Savior. And whether He lets me see results or not, I want to obey Him. Now, don't get me wrong. I do like the results of obedience. And they do come. And I welcome them. But the fact of the matter is, we have gotten off if we think that our obedience is based upon the results of that obedience. You see, that would be kind of like me loving my wife based upon what she gives back to me. We get in that trap too. Wife, that would be like you loving your husband based upon what your husband gives you back. You see how twisted that is. And that's a twist of Satan. But you know what the Word of God declares? You know what me to do to my wife? To love her as Christ loved the church, whether she loves me back or not. You see, my, my, my love for my wife is not based on what she can give me back or the results of that. But my love and my, my love for my wife is based upon the fact that she's my wife. And that's our God. My obedience to Him is because He is God and God alone. Listen up very carefully, please. We need to love God and serve Him because of who He is. If we are to judge God's blessings based upon what we can see, we are not practicing faith. Do you know what faith says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1? Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things, what church? Not seen. So whether I see them or not, I believe God is blessing my obedience. And friend, you might be feel like you're in a rut right now. You feel like, because I've heard it in my own heart, I've heard it in other hearts, and the fact is, it's just a heart of frustration. And what you have done, and what I have done in those situations, is you have stepped off the lane and highway of faith in Almighty God. You've totally just gotten off course because now you're saying, God, before I go forward any further in this thing of obedience to you, you're going to have to show me some results. I need to see some fruit. I need to see the barns filled, God, before I go forward. And Haggai is cutting that off. Before they even get a chance to start getting tempted, Haggai is saying, look, I want to tell you something. You may not have the barns full at this time, but look what God says here. At the end of verse 
number 19. Listen, he says, hath not brought forth, talking about the barns are not full, but get this. From this day will I bless you, is what God says. Do you see it, church? God was saying, you have come this far. You have come this far in obedience. Don't quit now. I'm going to bless. I'm bound by my word. I'm going to bless you. And folks, we can look at that in your families. You can look at that in this church. Maybe we're not seeing the results we would like. Maybe in your family you're not seeing the results you would like. But can I tell you something? Don't give up. The barn may not be full, but we're just going to take God at His word. And know that He's going to honor our obedience. Know that He's going to bless it. And it's going to be wonderful. And if I don't see it on this side, praise God, I'll see it in eternity. That's where things really pick up. The blessings will come, but they will be according as God sees fit. Hey, in closing, would you go over to uh, the book of Habakkuk with me? Just go backwards about two books. Zephaniah, you will pass. And then you'll come up upon Habakkuk. Look at Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3. A very very similar thing, but it was uh, uh, pre-captivity. It was during that time before they went into Babylonian captivity. It was on the other side. But look what God was telling them then concerning their deliverance. Look at chapter 2, verse 3. He was telling Habakkuk, he said, For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it, it shall speak. And not lie. Get this. Though it tarry, wait for it. Because it will surely come, it will not tarry. Hallelujah. Church, obedience. God will bless every single time. You may not see it, but it's okay. Wait for it. If you don't see it on this side, you'll see it on the other. And listen, we can take a lesson from a barn here because there's no doubt we do go through seasons in life where it seems like the barn is about empty. Where are the blessings, God? Well, the blessing is in Him. I love this quote by John Newton. Listen to this man who I believe understood what it meant to learn From his experience. He says. I am not what I might be. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I wish to be. I am not what I hope to be. But I thank God I am not what I once was. And I can say with the great apostle. By the grace of God. I am what I am. I believe that's the exact message that Haggai was saying to this group of people and what God is saying to us this morning. Hey, look, let's learn from what the Lord has taught us. Let's pray.